right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the second epistle of Peter. Now, the last time we left off in chapter two, we were basically getting into the very root of Peter's, uh, the purpose for his writing in that theme that we actually call it of the second epistle that is dealing with false teachers, a warning to God's people, to Christians against false teachers who will come. Now, it is important for us to look back and we're going to do this very briefly. We're going to look back on chapter one as we move into further into chapter two and talking about these false teachers and that Peter was trying to speak in chapter one. He kept using that word true knowledge. You remember that word that I told you guys about epignosis, which means true knowledge translated true knowledge. And the idea is an intimate knowledge. And what Peter was trying to say to them, these particular Christians that he was writing to warning about the false teachers who were coming. He was simply saying that true knowledge is evidenced when a person lives in a holy and a righteous life. True knowledge of God, the father and God, our savior, Jesus Christ, true knowledge of God and a relationship with him is always seen in how you live. And this will be a life that is characterized by holiness, godliness, righteousness. And notice what Peter said in chapter one, and he ex exhorted them. He encouraged them to live ever the more this way, live for God in all godliness as best you can with all that you got. And so what he was doing in chapter one, he was basically affirming these Christian believers that indeed they have a true knowledge of God. Why? Because it is being evidenced in their lives. They're living godly lives over against false teachers. So what is the false teacher issue all about? These are ones who proclaim and believe that they have some greater knowledge that that they themselves are able to impart to others, those who are babies or those who are ignorant of God's law. So these false teachers believe they have a true and greater knowledge. But what Peter is saying is in reality, they do not because again, True knowledge is evidenced in godly living. And when Peter begins to talk about these false teachers, he speaks of everything other than godly living. And especially Peter hones in on their greed as a motivation for why they do what they do. And he goes on and on and talking about the ungodly decrepit lives of these unbelieving false teachers who will try to penetrate the church and lead them away. Okay. So that is that contrast that Peter was trying to set up between the true believer with the true knowledge and the false teachers who believe they have knowledge, but in reality, they don't have knowledge because their lives do not reflect godliness and holiness. So what he was doing, so let's talk about it. So he talked about that in the first part of chapter two, that these false teachers would come and they would, they would have a great effectiveness because it said what many will follow them and their their appeal of the false teachers will be an appeal to the flesh. And remember that word that I also told you, but that word is translated sensuality. And the idea behind all of that is 
that which is of the flesh, the fleshly nature, the fleshly desire, the desire for yourself. And that is basically a contrast to how God wants us to live. God wants us to live to die to ourselves, to die to our desires, that the ultimate mindset of his people should always be your will be done. We want to live in a way that magnifies God and we want to live for God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might and all of our strength and that our lives. What did the Bible say again? Let me quote it again. You have been bought with a price. You are now a slave unto Jesus. So therefore we are obligated to obey our master glorify God with this body that we have. Okay. But anyway, so they appeal to this ungodliness that is in men the, to, 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 as Joel Osteen would uh, falsely say, to live your better life. Now, in contrast to what Jesus would say, be willing to take up your cross and die. Okay. But it is because of the greed of these false teachers, they will lead many to destruction. And Peter finally said at the point that we covered, because we get up to something like verse number 10, Peter said, but let, but rest assured, let me tell you one thing, these false teachers will be judged by God and their judgment when it comes, will come swiftly. And we have an example as Peter continued to speak. We have examples from the Old Testament that guarantees their judgment. And he reflected back to the angels who were judged in the days of Noah, how the angels, those angels that slept with women produced these Nephilim, uh, you see it translated giants in the King James Version. But um, they, they produced this ungodly generation of men, this hybrid of men and angels. And then all of the people in that day were uh, ungodly. But Noah, a preacher of righteousness, was saved. And the second example, Sodom and Gomorrah, how these people who engaged in homosexuality and all forms of wickedness, God destroyed them and yet he saved Lot who was a righteous man, this righteous man whose soul was vexed from day to day, seeing all of the ungodliness around him. And Peter's point was, as he brought it to a close where we ended, God knows how he is able to judge the unrighteousness, reserve them for a day of judgment, and also to save the godly people. He is also able to save his people. Okay. And then, but his whole point is, and we don't want to lose sight of all of that. He is dealing with these false teachers and how that God will inevitably one day judge them. And now as we begin to let's finish, we're going to get back into verse number 10. So here's where we are today. The Lord bless. We'll be able to finish the chapter. He continues to talk about these false teachers and he uses a barrage of, I mean, a number of descriptors to speak of these false teachers. Now, I don't know how much we're going to get into each of the descriptors. We're not going to get into all of them in some great depth, but I will touch on probably all of the descriptors in some way or another. But every descriptor that he uses concerning these false teachers, that's what we're about to see now, 
is a negative descriptor and it speaks ultimately of the condemnation. In other words, the false teachers are just no good. Okay. So now with all of that, let's just simply get back. Let's go back to where we left off, which was in verse number 10, talking about the false teachers and we midpoint of verse number 10 is where we actually stopped. Okay. Daring self will, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of wrongdoing. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Okay, let's just stop there because he said he's saying so much. Again, notice we have all of these barrage. This is just one descriptor after another that he speaks concerning the false teachers. None of them are good. And one of the first thing he talks about in there, well, I guess the word that comes to my mind is their personality and they are arrogant. Notice he says daring self willed. They do not trembled. This speaks of arrogance and pride. And there is that there is a characteristic that you can see in false teachers. You, you can see that. It is not, it's a lack of humility and in their false teachings, it is always about pride and number. And one of the reasons why you'll understand there is so much pride is because there is an indulging of the flesh. There is a seeking to gratify self. There is a seeking to glorify the self. When a person the mind is set to God and the heart is set to glorify God alone. There is always, there will always be humility. Why? Because it's not just about saying it in words. Cause I get sick and tired of people lying all the time talking about, it's not about me. That's a lie. It is about you. But in reality, when one does seek to glorify God, you understand it has nothing to do with you and you yourself are privileged to be a tool in the hands of God so that God can use you to glorify his name. But outside of that, back to the false teachers, because I don't want to preach and take up too much time in the video. So I'm kind of watching that guys. So what? Arrogance and pride, the daring and notice the self will that speaks for itself. Then it talks about the not trembling and reviling angelic majesties. And that is speaking about angelic forces, speaking about spiritual forces, speaking about the things even that they cannot see. They speak arrogantly about heaven 
and angels and the things of heaven and angels and know nothing about it. They create grand stories about God and grand stories about heaven, even going to heaven. Or I've even heard people saying they, they dreamt or believed that they went actually to hell. Some went to heaven, some coming up with things that are not in the scripture at all, saying that they saw God, they met God and they saw angels and they saw the Holy Spirit. All of this foolishness that comes out of the will of a man and the pride for heart of the ignorant. But anyway, so he says they're reviling angelic majesties. They revile angels, but then he compares how the angels themselves do. And in that sense, there is that unspoken word of that godliness and holiness. And we're speaking of godly angels. We're not speaking of when it speaks of the devil and his angels. The Bible always makes that clear and usually calls them a reference to demons. But here, these are the angels of God. But the angels of God, now here's the comparison, being greater in power, greater in Think about some of the things that you see when you read about the angels and yet these angels don't bring an accusation against them. Now, here's the point. Rightly so. The angels could speak a word of condemnation against the false teachers, but the angels still won't speak a word against the false teachers. But here the false teachers speak all kind of arrogant words and even revile the angels themselves, which show the point Peter showing is a contrast of these ungodly men, these false teachers. Then he begins to say in verse number 12, and here's where we see a compounding of all of these descriptors that I was telling you guys about. Don't want to get too deeply into it, but I truly love the way Peter speaks of it. Notice what he calls these false teachers. They, these, they are like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed. I don't even know if I can really even justify that to you. It, it seems to me it's almost like something you need to see for yourself. An animal that has no, you see, human beings are distinct from wild animals. Wild animals operate in accordance to their instincts. That is to find food and to find shelter, to mate and, 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 and things like that. They're just they just don't have the higher forms of intelligence and reasoning that a man would have. Notice how he compares these false prophets as they, these false prophets, as they pursue their sinfulness, namely their false teaching. He said, they're like wild animals. You cannot reason with them. There is absolutely nothing you can do. They are reprobate in their mind in such a way that they are like creatures who operate according to their instincts, who, who, are, who are alive today and killed tomorrow. And that's just the end of them. It's, it's almost a despicable way of looking at the false teachers. But anyway, so like unreasoning animals, it almost speaks for itself operating according to their sinful instincts, you can't reason with them with the word of God. Notice what it says, reviling where they have no knowledge, speaking words of vanity in their arrogance, 
And and it and it and okay, and I'm not gonna try to get personally involved in this teaching, but it stirs even up my anger when I think about it. The arrogance in how they speak and when they like they really know God and they know scriptures. And I have heard some people say the most ridiculous things in my life. And I say, oh my God, it is amazing. I have seen a demonstration of God's mercy that God didn't kill them. Let me give you an example. I'm watching this man. I forget his name and he's talking to, uh, to, to, no, 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 no. Well, I'm not going to even bring about the Paula White foolishness. She's a false teacher and a false prophet herself, but it was his other guy. And I think he was talking to Benny Hinn and what he was saying to the guy, uh, uh, was a black guy. And he was saying how, that God cannot operate in this world without the permission of a man. And it all happened when Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, man lost his authority and right in this, uh, in this world. And God lost his right and authority in this world and blah, blah, whatever kind of foolishness that he was saying. So he was saying that God needed a man. That was his ultimate point to give him permission to operate in this world. I almost fell out of my chair and, and, and he really sat back grinning like a chess cat and, and Benny Hinn sent up the smile and said, wow, that is really deep. Like he really knew something and I almost fell out of my chair saying, oh, man, you are a stone fool. This world belongs to God. The world is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now go back and look at what Isaiah says in chapters 40 through 45, how God is the only God and how God does what he pleases. He doesn't need the permission of any creature. He does what he wants to with his own creation. He made everything. God don't need no doggone man. The very essence of his name means the self-existent one. I exist of myself without no need. But it was ridiculous. But anyway, back to what the point is, reviling where they have no knowledge, speaking these empty grand words, and you don't have the slightest idea what the devil you talking about. Will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering the wages of doing wrongdoing. And all he's saying here is this. Well, in the end, you were just like those creatures that Peter was giving, speaking of what wild creatures uh, 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 in instinct, you know, like a wild lion, a wild bear, whatever. In the end, in the end of all things, this world will be destroyed. This universe will be destroyed. Peter comes talk about that too in this epistle. And also we can see this being referenced in Revelation chapter 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So this creation itself will be dissolved, will be burned with fire. So therefore these animals, these brute creatures that Peter was talking about will be destroyed. And the false prophets whom like these brute creatures, Peter compared them to, and these false prophets too themselves will also be destroyed. Speaking right back again to that judgment that Peter talked about, they'll be destroyed and the destruction that they will receive will be in accordance to their works, suffering wrong as the wages 
of doing wrong. They are destroyed and they are destroying. We're not talking about the destruction. Let me make this point too before I go any further and you guys get the wrong idea. This is not a destruction of annihilation. Peter's not talking about, say friends, that when the world is destroyed, the, false, the animals are destroyed and it's all just gone. But he's just talking about that destruction of the loss of life, ultimately in the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever. So Peter is speaking here to eternal destruction of false teachers. But let's continue on. Uh, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. In other words, when they do their sins, notice they count it a pleasure. They take joy in their sins and they take joy in their sins in the sight of others. They don't hide their sins. And as a matter of fact, and, and especially since we're talking about them as false teachers, it is not simply believing in themselves and believing for themselves these wrong things. But they pridefully, they pridefully teach these wrong things, are arrogant in their teachings, and they, and they have joy in all of this, this crap in the stuff that they teach. And, and it's, it's, it's really getting off the chain. And I don't want to go into point after point after point. But I do want to highlight the issue of homosexuality and the invasion of homosexuality in the church. And you can see this celebration and they, they notice how they call, call it pride. See it revel in the daytime. And what do the homosexuals say? This is pride. We proud of who we are. You, you don't see heterosexual folk on, on the street talking about we proud to be heterosexual. <laughs> but why are they proud to revel in their immorality and in their uncleanness? And even so now, what do you do? You bring it into the church and you try to make it commonplace and acceptable in the church. And sadly so, a lot of people are beginning to believe that there's nothing wrong with such a practice. But remember, I remind you again what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do not let any man deceive you. Those who practice these things, homosexuality, drunkenness, all forms of immorality, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But nevertheless, they are no longer shameful of such behavior, but they are proud. They what revel in the daytime. And he says, when you look at them, instead of them being uh, white and pure, like they try to claim to be, the reality is the end of verse number 13, they are stains and blemishes. Doesn't it speak for itself? Imagine having a, 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 a seeing a bride on her wedding day with a beautiful white dress and right in that beautiful white dress, right in the dead center in the front is a big black dirty stain. And that's what these false teachers are as they, as he keep on talking about carousing amongst the saints. You see the saints are the, the ones who are indeed pure. The ones in that dress that are pure, this is the pure white part of the dress. But those false teachers ain't going to heaven. They are part of the stains in the dress. And what Peter wants us to see is these stains are actually standing out. 
even though they have secretly come in and even though they introduced these destructive damnable heresies they themselves are stains that stand out but anyway stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they what corrals with you just take that whole example that i gave you about the beautiful bride with the white dress and that big black stain these false teachers um, among the pure saints of God. When I say pure, I don't mean to, to say these people, saints of God never sin. That's not what I'm talking about, but it's talking about those who are trying to set their minds to live for God the, and, and, and do what pleases God. But these false teachers, they ain't studying no God. They are evil. They are self-willed. That's what Peter just got through talking about. They indulge the flesh. They deal with all forms of immorality and they're trying to teach you to do the same. They are blemishes. But now let's continue with Peter because I don't want to make this longer. I always end up doing that, don't I, guys? Uh, now let's continue reading because I stopped at 14. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaken the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. So Peter continues on with his descriptors. So let me do the same. Notice having eyes full of adultery never cease from sin. The eye, and, and, and now that adultery can be can be spiritual adultery. That is when you speak of spiritual adultery, that is to, to go away from the right way of God, the right teachings of God and the proper doctrines of God, spiritual adultery adultery, which we can also simply call or state as idolatry. Okay. And idolatry can come in all types of forms, worshiping other gods and even the worship of self, the worship of self is the greatest and most common idolatry that most of us are not aware of. When you do what you want to do, when you live like you want to live, then your God is you. And that's idolatry. But anyway, he says eyes full of adultery, but the adultery here can also refer to as uh, sexual and sensual adultery. That is sexual immorality. And notice he has already been talking about. And remember that word that I told you that keeps coming up. Alsagias, Alsagias, which deals with sensuality. That's the way they actually translated it here and sexual immorality. So there's always that which finds its way into the community of the body of believers. And it's coming because of these false teachers, but note having eyes full of, no, can you imagine? Can you, okay. 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 I don't need to keep going with it, but eyes full of a door that never cease from seeing is constantly on the prowl, constantly looking for something constantly from one sin to the next. You never get tired of your sins. And what does he say in the end? This is the worst sin of all enticing unstable souls. And this is why Peter's writing the letter in the first place to warn these Christians of such false teachers. Why? Because they will, if you are not stable and this is a problem, 
If you are not stable in the truth of God's word, and this is why it is so important for all of God's people to be firmly rooted in the word of God. This is why it's important for God's people to know it, to study God's word, take your tail to church, take your tail to a Bible believing church. That's what you need to do and be stable in the word so that you are not easily deceived by false teachers. When you yourself know the word of God and the word of God is settled in you, and nobody knows it perfectly, but you need to have a strong foundation. Then they cannot deceive you. But what is the problem again? He says they do what? Entice unstable. These are people who are saved. They're saved, but they're not founded well in the word of God, the knowledge of the truth. They can easily be deceived. And you do have that false teachers. And no doubt, I would even believe even in Kenneth Copeland, Copeland's church and in Crethodox, there may very well be some people there who are unsaved but they're unstable and therefore they are easily enticed. But let me, let me keep going. Having a hard train in greed. Now he's still talking about the false teachers. And from this word that we see trained, we have, we derive the word gym, G Y M. You know, gym, when you go to the gym to be trained and work out the muscles. <laughs> so it is basically like a verbal form of that word. But notice the word itself, the heart of the false teacher is trained in greed. Um, man, these are just powerful and beautiful descriptors of the false teachers. But the point that Peter is trying to make even here is, and he made it earlier, what is that that motivates the false teachers? The love of money, money. And this is why they do what they do. And Creflo Dollar has the right last name, why he does what he does why Copeland does what he does, Duplantis, and so many in the so-called word of faith, and not just simply the word of faith, but there are other things, there are other people, there are other preachers and whatever, and whatever, I can give a rest, now let me talk, I can give a rest real about your denominational beliefs. If these descriptors fit you, then that's whom God is talking about. When your motivation for what you do is greed and not the glory of God, not the edification of God's people, but you are trying to appeal to people's sexuality, to their fleshly desires, to their prideful desires in order that you can use them to give to you. And that's the bottom line. But anyway, where was I? And then he begins to say they're trained in greed and notice what he talks about, what, what he calls them accursed children. My God, these descriptors can go on and on. Let, let me keep a watch on the time, guys. Accursed children. <laughs> what do you say about the false teachers with their claims of salvation? They claim, if you ask them, are they Christian? They'll argue you to the, they argue to the ends of the earth. Yeah, they're Christian. Yeah, they saved. And notice what Peter says. You are actually accursed children. That means accursed from the presence of God, you don't, God doesn't know you and you don't know God. And then he continues on to talk about in their falsity, in their falsity, he compares them to the false prophet 
Bellum. Remember, and it takes us all the way back to verse number one. Remember what he said in Second Peter one, even as there were false prophets among the people in those days, there will be false teachers among you. So he compares them to a particular false prophet, Balaam, and Balaam was not saved. This is found in Numbers chapter 22. Now we're going to not get into all of the issues in that. That's why we have to have an understanding of our Old Testament. But it was during the time when the children of Israel were coming, God had delivered them out of Egypt and was bringing them through the, uh, uh, bringing them unto the promised land. They came to the land of the king of Balak. Right. Balak, Balak's land. And so he was afraid because of what he's seen the children of Israel do to their enemies of earlier. And he called the false prophet Balaam and he wanted Balaam to curse the people because he had learned from experience when Balaam was maybe one day we'll talk about that in the book of Numbers. When Balaam would find out about the gods gods of a particular people, Balaam would appeal to the gods of that people and find ways to curse the people. And so Balak said, I've learned and experienced when you curse a people, indeed they are cursed. So therefore I want you to curse these people for me, curse the children of Israel. But God forbade the prophet to curse the people. But what did Balak do? He kept appealing to Balaam with great sums of money until finally he broke that false prophet. Balaam tried to pretend, well, if you give me your whole house full of money, I cannot go beyond the word of God. But Balaam kept on, Balak kept on telling, man, I'm a, I got plenty of money to give you. I got plenty of money to give you until finally what? The false prophet broke in his desire for money. He went to curse the children of Israel and God stopped him from his madness from what he was about to do by allowing a dumb animal kind of takes you back to that unreasoning and brute beast that Peter was talking about. But God allowed a dumb animal to speak to Balaam with the voice of a man to restrain him to stop him from doing what he was about to do. But the point is, what was that which drove Balaam to do what he wanted to do? Greed, the desire for money. And this is why, and let all of us, let all of God speak because we live in this world. God knows that you need things. God knows house and food and utilities and all of the things that you need. Don't worry about that. So let, let me talk to you now. Don't you worry about that. Why do I say don't worry about that? I don't mean don't go to work, don't get a job and don't try to take care of yourself. Yeah, you do that, but don't become overcome in worry. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, he said, I tell you what, he said, look at the flowers of the field. He said, man, aren't they beautiful? And he said, he said, they're more beautiful than Solomon himself, that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like these flowers. And he said, you know, these flowers are beautiful today and they're dead tomorrow and thrown into the oven. He said, don't you know that if God so clothed these flowers and in their temporariness are here, don't you know that God will clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. He said, what's wrong? Don't you understand who your father is? Do you think that you will ask your good father? 
He said, listen, let me tell you about your daddy. Your daddy, that is your physical daddy from which you were born. He's a crook. He's a sinner, just like you. But, and if you went to your earthly daddy and asked, he said, daddy, I'm hungry. Will you feed me? He says, do you think that your earthly daddy would give you a stone or a serpent in return? He says, compare him to your, that is your earthly daddy, to your heavenly father who is good and holy. Don't you know he'll give you the things that you need? And Jesus' whole point was, you have so little faith. He said, but instead of being consumed with the things in this world, Joel Osteen, about trying to get this and trying to get that and worrying about this, he said, I tell you what, make this a priority in your life. Seek you first priority, the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Seek God, the glory of God to live for God. And what did Jesus say? And all these things, clothing, food, shelter, all these things will be added unto you. Why? It is your father's good pleasure to give you these things. You ain't taking nothing away from God to give you these things. He owns the whole world. But anyway, with all of that being said, the point that Peter was talking about, let's go back here, is that the false prophet's motivation was the love of money, was for greed and for our, and what I was trying to say to you is, our motivation should be for the love of God, believing what? That God will give us all that we need. We don't have to worry about you just do what you're supposed to do. You just work and be diligent about what you're supposed to do, knowing God will handle the rest of that for you. But the Bible, let's go back here. Uh, uh, okay, we, we dealt with that, how that the false prophets were compared to Balaam and how in Balaam was being restrained, there's a sense of judgment for Balaam. And in the end, Balaam was judged and also Balaam was killed, <laughs> was killed. But anyway, so, but we're not gonna get into all of that. And I think that's also too, a reference being made to these false prophets. And again, remember what Peter said even earlier in chapter two, and that uh, their judgment is not idle. These false prophets too, too, as well, will be judged. All right. But anyway, let's go back here, back to the descriptors in second Peter talking about these false prophets because Peter ain't through with them yet. These false prophets are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the blackness of darkness has been reserved for speaking out arrogant words of vanity. They entice by fleshly desire, you say, man, it's just so thick. By fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Now, he has said a lot here, okay? Two things. One, he continues that descriptors, the descriptors of the false prophets. And then he talks about the end results of the effects of what the false prophets do for people, 
even for Christian people and even for non-Christian people. But let's just look at it. He calls them, um, verse number 17, springs without water and mist driven by a storm. So <laughs> these are men of emptiness. The appearance of them, oh man, the doctor this and reverend this and whatever titles that they may use for themselves, they really know. The point of Peter is, and they don't know nothing. It's just like, it, Peter, so here's Peter. It's just like a hot day. And imagine a man is on a hot and this is, I'm in the state of Mississippi and I mean, it's reaching temperatures of a hundred degrees here. It's so hot. You can't even stay outside and imagine you outside, you outside and in all of this heat and humidity and all of a sudden you see a spring ahead of you. There's a, a, a spring ahead of you and you begin to think to yourself, oh my God, I cannot wait to get to this spring so I can finally get some cool water and you finally get to the the spring and guess what ain't no water it's just it's emptiness and that's the idea of these false teachers as they call themselves speaking about God about the word of God and that all of their teaching can give you with respect to what God can give you and in the end it's nothing it's emptiness it's vanity. And then he continues on with this thing about a mist. And you know, in a hot day, you imagine mist coming and cool you. He said, but instead of the mist coming as a mist that cools you, it is a blistering, burning mist. It is a mist driven by fierce wind. It doesn't cool and refresh you. It beats you down. So in, in the point that he's making is these false teachers give the imagery that they're going to spiritually do you good and spiritually bless you. But in the end, it's all emptiness, vanity, and actually they harm you. Let's finish it out. Uh, for, uh, for whom the blackness of darkness has been reserved. And that's just simply Peter speaking of what? Once again, their judgment, the blackness of darkness, they will be judged, sent to hell, and in the end, sent to the lake of fire. He, he continues on, verse number 18, to deal with that arrogance. Again, it is inescapable that he talks about the personality. Speaking out arrogant words of vanity. Again, that pridefulness, that arrogance, that strifeful arrogance. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. I'm deep in the word of God. Listen to me because I can tell you something. And all outside of God's word are not interpreting God. But I ain't gonna get into all of that. But the point is they're arrogant. And notice they entice by fleshly desires. And this is what I was trying to tell you again. They appeal to people's desires. You know, they're trying to tell, okay. okay. You hear them all the time, talk, especially, uh, uh, it's so hard for me to get beyond the word of faith because this is, this is the mess that we see that spreads like a wildfire. America, Africa, it's just spreading all over the world. God wants you to be rich. That's what people's problem is. They want to be rich. And so you hear somebody tell you that God wants you to be rich and you can do this and you can do that. I've even heard those fools talking about you can control the weather. 
something that God alone can do. But nevertheless, God wants you to be rich. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to have this peace in God and not the peace of Christ, but this peace with people and blah, 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 blah. God wants you to have this. God wants you to live in a night. No, these things are about fleshly desire. And as they preach and teach these things, this is what people want. And so therefore they appeal to people who won't. That's why pe pe Paul, Paul says for what he said, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Why? For the time will come. People are not going to listen to sound doctrine. They're going to find these false teachers who are going to tell them the things that they want to hear health and wealth. This is basically the gospel that they preach. Okay. But let me say this. These are the words of the psalmist. These are the words of the psalmist. And I have placed them in my heart. And I even urge you to place them into your heart. And the psalmist said unto God, he said, Lord God, he said, two things I ask of you in this life. He says, the first thing I ask, please don't let me be impoverished. Don't let me be too poor because in, in my desperation, I might do something and make you ashamed. I might steal and make you ashamed of me in my desperation to feed myself. Please don't let me be too poor. And then he said, and now, Lord, on the other hand, he said, I ask you another thing. Please don't make me too rich. Don't give me too much. Why? For when you do, if you should give me too much, I might do a, an even greater sin and forget about you. Become self-sufficient. Start thinking that I'm all of that. Remember how Jesus warned, how hardly shall they that are rich enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so the psalmist said, he said, I tell you what, don't make me too poor. Don't make me too rich. He said, do one thing for me. Give me just what I need. And this is what the apostle Paul taught in his letter to Timothy. Having food and clothing, let us be content. This is what we need to do. Let us seek for the glory of God and for what God has given us. Um, Lord, I'm thankful. Lord, I'm, I'm satisfied with what you gave me. You didn't have to give me some big expensive car. Lord, I thank you for the little truck that you gave me. You didn't have to give me some 15 room mansion. Lord, I thank you for the little two or three bedroom house or the little one bedroom house that you gave me. You didn't have to give me caviar and lobster tail to eat or I can eat the best of food. Lord, I thank you for the greens and cornbread that you give me. I am content with the blessings of my Lord. But anyway, I am doing a lot of preaching, Anna, but again, they entice those because of their fleshly desires. And again, he brings by sensuality. Also, notice that word again. I'm in verse number 18. He keeps talking about that sexual immorality that always creeps in. I said enough about that. Those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. The people that they hurt by all of these false teachings, believers. 
believers. And the reason why they're able to hurt believers in this sense is because these believers have not been founded themselves in the word of truth. And what does he say they do in their preaching? Not just simply the style of their preaching, but what? What he says, the outcome of their, and you know what I'm talking about. If you just listen to some of this stupid stuff that they say, what is that? What are they promising? Verse number 19, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Promising as the false teachers are preaching to the people, you can have this and you can get this and God will give you this. This is what Peter means when he says, promising them freedom. He said, but when reality, when you actually look at the soul of these false teachers, when you look at them, they themselves are the slaves of corruption. They don't know God. They are moved by their own sinful flesh. They are moved and corrupted by their own sinful desires. And therefore they are enslaved by their sinful desires. That's why he says for by what a man is overcome by this, he is enslaved. And now here's that dichotomy with two things. What these false teachers, their motivation is their sinful flesh and they understand their sinful flesh and the sinful flesh of other men. And that's how they preach. And that's how they entice them. And that's how they get people to kind of believe and go along with the foolishness that they themselves are preaching. But when you look at the false teachers, one word, they are corrupt. And I like, again, when, when uh, 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 Peter called them children, he said corrupt children. That's what they are over against notice for by what a person is overcome. He is enslaved. Peter says what? Chapter one. But I have been telling you, set your heart to the glory of Jesus. Set your heart to living for Jesus. Your trust and faith is in him alone. You live to glorify him alone. So therefore what? Notice this overcomes you. What overcomes the true believer? The glory of God the glory of Christ Jesus. So therefore we are like what Peter called himself. What did Peter call himself? A slave to Jesus. Why? Because our desire is not to our sinful nature, our desires to the glory of Christ and to make him pleased with us. But these false teachers, their desire is to their flesh, to their corrupt flesh. So therefore they are enslaved to their corrupt flesh. Okay. Now let's bring this to a close. Verses number 20 through 22. We're going to close it out. For if after they have escaped the defilements, defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. And boy, I want to preach, but I ain't going to preach. Let's just bring it to a close. 
Now, as he continues to talk about these false teachers and not only that, not only the false teachers, but also there seems to be an inferment to those who are following them. Okay. Following and believing them, people who aren't really saved themselves, but really the false teachers, that's where he's hammering at. 20, he says, after escaping the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord, save Jesus Christ. Now, what you have to understand what Peter is saying, or should I even say, is not saying. Peter is saying, not saying, these false teachers have never been saved. That's what you've got to understand. They ain't ever, they have never been saved. Okay? But they were introduced to the knowledge that could save them. That is faith in Jesus alone. So, so it, it, the, the word of God has come to them that a man is, you, you understand that you are sinful and totally lost in sin. This is the gospel. Jesus, God has come into the, come in the flesh. And as Christ lived that righteous life that can be imputed to you and died a sinful death, paying for your sins and was resurrected from the dead by God, the father showing his approval of Jesus and his life. That salvation is by Jesus alone. They have come to this knowledge of salvation, but they didn't believe this knowledge and receive it in their hearts. Notice that's why you must believe this deeply in your heart. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised it. See, it must take place in the depths of who you really are. Do you really believe that Jesus is the son of God and died for your sin? But the point back to the false teachers, they have come to this knowledge, the belief, they understand it and in their superficial, superficial following after Jesus, they kind of cleaned up. They didn't receive it in the heart. They just believed it in the mind and kind of cleaned up in how, they, how they live. And this is what Peter is talking about. Escaping the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here when he talks about knowledge, he does talk about the knowledge in the epignosis, in, uh, in, uh, uh, epignosis in the true relationship knowledge. The word here is epignosis. They don't have that true relationship. They just have a knowledge of the truth, right? But what happens? How do you know it's a mind, a head knowledge and not a heart knowledge? They are again entangled in them, that is in the defilements of the world, and are overcome by the defilements of the world. So in other words, so had this knowledge of what it was to be saved and knowing the Lord Jesus. But in, in reality, what happens? Their heart wasn't there. So they, they, they just go right back to where they were. And that's what Peter is talking about. It is a possession of a head knowledge. And that's why I always try to tell people it's not what's in your head. It's what's in your heart that counts. It's what's in your heart. Okay, and, and this is that saving grace that can only come from God. But the, back to the point, because we're closing it out. 
They had a knowledge, but it wasn't truly in their hearts. And so therefore there once ways because they clean up their ways for a minute. They clean up the ways for a minute because it's in the head, but they didn't continue on in a righteous life. Notice what Peter said in chapter one, add in your faith. What? I know that you save. I know you say you're trying to live, but keep going stronger. Brotherly love and godliness and love. And, and Peter said, keep on. Give God your all. But here we see the reverse of the thing. They start out doing pretty good, but because what? Their heart wasn't in it. They go right back to where they come from, to living the way they used to live. Their heart is still impure. They are overcome again and entangled with the world. And he says, and what is the end result? Last state has become worse than the first state. In other words, they are now worse than they were before they ever heard the gospel of Jesus. They're in a bad shape. And this takes us all the way back to what Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 12. And I'm not going to get into it because my time is, is so just about gone. When Jesus talked about, he says, when an unclean spirit is going out of a man, it's been cast out of a man, goes through dry places. But then he wants to go back. He gets seven other friends. He go back to the place. I'm going to go back to the man that I came out of. And then all of them come into that man, overcome that man. And what the last state of that man is worse than the first man. That is Jesus in his work was trying to sweep Israel. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Sweeping Israel of all the demonic activity. All they had to do was accept Jesus, but they rejected Jesus. So therefore, all of those demons came right back and what happened? The state of Israel was worse than the first and ultimately Israel was judged 70 AD, but we're not going to get into all of that. And so he speaks for the false teachers and ultimately they themselves too will be judged. Why? Because they only had a superficial knowledge, saving knowledge, but this knowledge was not true was not true knowledge that resulted in a change in their lives. Righteousness, holiness, godliness, worse than the first. He says this, and here is that warning statement of verse number 21 and 22. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to know it and turn away from the holy commandment. In other words, and you can understand that, it would have been better for you not to have known these things in the first place than for you to know it and then turn around and not do it. Again, you can see the teachings of Jesus come to the surface in Peter's talking right here. When Jesus says, for he who knew his master's will and did it not, you will be beaten with many stripes. Notice these false teachers, they had a knowledge of the master's will. And notice what Peter said, they turned and went back again. Notice what Jesus said, and did it not. What is the end result? Jesus said, they will be beaten with many stripes. This is the judgment. This is what Peter is talking about. It would have been better for you never to have heard the gospel than for you to hear the gospel, understand the gospel and turn right, right back around and live an ungodly way. Verse number 22. And here's where we end. And Peter says, so it happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog returns his own vomit, sour to his washing in the mire. Peter saying, he said, the reason why all of this is the case, he says, why? He said, he said, just like the proverb said, the dog having eaten a food that made him sick, turned right back around and ate, his, ate the vomit. 
The vomit is the, okay, the food that made him sick, the dog vomited the food out. Now, the dog, knowing that this food just made him so sick he had to vomit it out, he leaves it. He leaves it, but he turns right back around and comes back later on and eats not the food that made him sick, but the vomit itself. And you would be amazed. You say, what in the, you're crazy dog. Why are you doing this dog? And the dog looks at you and say, cause I'm a dog. That's what dogs do. And this is what Peter is trying to say. And then he gives a second example. We're going to bring it together. He says like a pig. So you get the pig with the pig. He's in the mud. You get him out of the mud and you wash up the pig. Oh, he's so, oh, he's so pretty. He's so clean and neat. You put a big old pretty bow around the pig and the pig, he's walking around. He's a, he's a pretty pig. He's a, he's so clean and neat, but just let him keep on going. He's going to follow. Remember what Peter was talking about these brute beasts. He's going to follow his natural instinct and find some mud. And sooner or later, that pig is going to go right back to wallowing in the mud. And then you look at the pig and say, what's wrong with you? I just cleaned you up. Why did you go right back to the mud? And the pig look at you and say, I'm a pig. That's what pigs do. And so Peter is talking about these false teachers. And this is how we know they have never been saved in the first place. All they had was a superficial knowledge of the word of God. And that wasn't even good. That was in deceit and that was mired and the interpretation and understanding of that was messed up. But they were trying to live right superficially, look good for a while. He said, but inevitably, Inevitably, these false teachers ended up going right back into ungodly living in their proud and arrogant state of mind. They go right back to the, the dog, to the vomit, and the people and the pig to the mud. Why? He said, because in reality, they were never saved in the first place. The nature of the creature was not changed. Until and unless God changed the nature, you will, I don't care how you for a while. And let me talk about other folk. Let me talk about other than just simply false teachers. We can see this same principle in the lives of other people who say that they're saved. What do you mean, pastor? You see people coming to the church. You see people saying that they love Jesus. You see people get excited for a little while. And this is what Jesus talks about, the seed of the word of God that's cast on stony ground. Seed of the word of God that's cast on weeds. Stony ground that come up for a moment, but because they have no earth, all of a sudden it dies. Seed on the weeds and all of a sudden the cares of this world choke it out. These people who come up among the saints who look good for a little while, but nevertheless, what happens in the end, they go back to the lifestyle that they once lived. They go back into the world that they came from. They leave the church. They leave the things that they were taught of God. And Peter says, let me explain to you why they left in the first place. They looked good for a while, but they went back. They went back to where they came from because they were never saved. Don't you understand? A dog goes back to his vomit. Why? 
because he is a dog. Don't you understand that a pig will go back to the mud? Why? Because the pig is still a pig unless the person has been changed, unless their nature has been changed. And like Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you have been born again, unless you are a new creature and a new creation, you will go right back to doing what you were doing. And that's why. Okay. Okay. Enough. Enough. I, I've preached enough. So we now end with this section on Peter and the false teachers in this section. And in Peter's whole point that he was making a contrasting difference. And I'm not going to get into all of those descriptors. We did all of that already in the, in the final review. But he was simply contrasting that to the true, genuine believer who knew God. That's chapter one. That epic gnosis contrasting that over against false teachers who claim that they knew God and then know God. Also, remember that word sensuality, sexual immorality in their pride and in their arrogance. Accursed children. They are like wells of water. When you come up to them, you find them empty like mists that are driven with fierce wind. They are no good at all. And in the end, why do they do what they do? Because they are who they always were. A dog remains a dog. And notice the dog and the pig in Jewish uh, 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 law were considered to be unclean animals. Dog and pigs were considered unclean animals. And the reason why they do what they do is because they are who they are. All right. Thanks guys, that was a little bit longer than what I had anticipated it to be. But if this word has been a blessing to you, I'll ask you to support this ministry. There's always a link in the description to support the ministry. But before we go, let's say a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your grace and your kindness. Touch our hearts, touch our minds. Give us the very opposite of these things that you've been speaking about with these false teachers. Give us hearts of humility to know we are nothing. Apart from the grace of God, ain't no hope for us. But Lord, we, pray, we praise your name. We thank you for your saving grace. We thank you for a new nature. Why? Because there was a time when I was a pig, I was a dog. There was a time, but Lord, you touched my heart. And by that, by you and you alone, by your grace, by your spirit, I received a new birth. And what did Paul say? And if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. I once was a dog, but I ain't no more. Now I am a child, a slave of Jesus Christ. Notice what Peter kept saying. For whomever man is overcome, to that one he is enslaved. I was once a slave to my lust, to my desire, to my passions. But now I am a slave to Jesus. And Lord, I thank you. My desire is to live and please him. Thank you for all your goodness and your mercy. Lord, bless your people in this manner and give your people discernment, eyes of discernment that come from the word of God, that comes from the word of God eyes of discernment so that they'll know these false teachers when they see them 
In Jesus' name we pray. All right, guys, again, thank you for joining me with all of that. Join me again next time as we continue. We close out Peter's final words concerning false teachers and the judgment that is to come. See you next time.